Cheers, y'all. Radio and podcastical. You're uh, uh, internationally known and world famous because, of course, my mom now knows that we exist. And Hi, once she knows, I figure the world knows. So, welcome to the show. It's show number 186 uh, of Smoking and Toasting. This show is all about uh, 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 craft beer, spirits, and hand rolled cigars. We are brought to you by B&B Butchers and Reddish, my dad, in Houston, and in the shops at Clear Fork in, in uh, Fort Worth. Uh, we are welcoming to the show today uh, a good friend and a gentleman we've had on the show before in a special segment. Uh, we connected in, uh, in Honduras uh, at one of those little cigar getaway things that we were fortunate enough to be invited to. And Paul Carroll, who runs the... Good afternoon, everyone. How you been, man? Doing all right. Doing all right. Can't complain. So, I mean, we could make a complaint out of COVID, but I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah. That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. So, Paul, uh, I was uh, uh, looking through um, things yesterday, uh, you know, we had to get some stories together for the show. Saw a great article in the uh, uh, Houston Chronicle online uh, yes. about the fact that you were reopening and some of the challenges that that afforded. So, Look at Paul on the show today, and, and we can ask him, you know, what it's like on the on the front lines of the cigar lounge during the, uh, you know, the sort of gentle reopening. Uh, so we'll ask you some questions about that today. We'll Thanks. also be tasting a few uh, interesting things, which we'll get to in a moment. And now, Paul, I know you've got to run a shop, so let me just say at the at the top here that we'd love to have you stay for the whole show. Okay, but you certainly don't have to. Uh, uh, your uh, your uh, schedule can uh, can be whatever you need it to be. So, um, understood. Before, before we go any further, I'd just like to say I'm so excited about today's show because last week, um, although I thought it wound up being a very interesting show, I have to say it was my personal just as far as being on the show was my personal least favorite episode. Smoking and toast, and that was because we were doing the, <laughs> the great liquor taste test. And I almost didn't want you to drink anything for a few days after. Ian, that was some nasty shit, is what that was. Yeah, yeah. So uh, malt liquor is uh, it's been around a long time, uh, but that doesn't <laughs> make it good. You no, know? no, you're absolutely right. It doesn't make it good at all. So, so uh, Paul, I, see your... I, I don't know if you watched it. We 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 tried uh, four different malt liquors last week just to see how they tasted because you know we don't drink it very often. So you never know. And by very often, he means never. Yeah, pretty much never. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but uh, I, I can I can summarize it for you. I mean, we'd love for you to go and spend time with the whole show, uh, which you can find on YouTube or any of the. If that makes me a beer snob, then I'll wear that hat. So, <laughs> Ian, what you smoking there? I see you lit up. I see you lit so up there. So this is a H Upman. Oh, very nice. That's the class. Yeah. 
That's the Connoisseur A. The Connoisseur A. Very nice. So this is the uh, Habana H. Upman. Placentia Alma Fuerte. I think you gave me this one. Those are delicious. I'm excited to get in and, and give this one. Yeah. Uh, it's a little weird. I think Alan, Alan might have given you that one. Uh, I think I wrote the one I gave you before. Uh, that, that very well could be. Um, but, uh, 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 Paul, let's let's jump into this a little bit in case sure. we don't have you for the So first, you're cutting in and out on 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 my feed. So if you've just asked a question, I need to ask you to repeat. Uh, it. Yeah. yeah, no problem. We're experiencing a little more internet waverability today than we're used to. I don't know why that is, but. Um, Paul, uh, every city and state was a little different in terms of how they reopened. Your shop is in the Heights, which is a, a great neighborhood of Houston, Texas. Yes. Uh, when were you allowed to open your doors? Or well, did you since ever cigar lounges exist in a non-guidelined environment? I mean, there's not a, a little bullet point that says, oh, cigar lounges, you can do A, B, and C. I've been following uh, restaurant guidelines, but before the opening statements, we chose to open, well, not officially open our doors. Uh, during the great shutdown, we were open five hours a day, six days a week for single customer patronage only, in and out, grab and go, or curbside pickup. And those who chose to grab and go uh, they were met with a locked front door so we could control how many were in the shop. And no one was allowed to touch right. anything until the time of payment. And, and that's how we managed through most of the great shutdown. And then uh, Governor Abbott uh, announced that May 1st would be the restaurant opening at 25% capacity. So we chose to uh, count the number of seats we have because our certificate of occupancy doesn't have a number of uh, max number of people on it. So we counted our seats, divided by four, and said the great number is going to be nine. Allow nine customers to sit in the lounge, mm. uh, maintaining social distancing. We've got our chairs marked uh, accordingly where they can, more, more, more accurately where they cannot sit. And then we are allowing retail to happen as it naturally goes. And I think right. we've only hit three days where we've had to. Uh, we're only allowing one customer in the humidor at a time. And so if we're if more than mm -hmm. one person is wanting to shop in the store, they have to line up down the hallway, waiting their turn, social distancing. We're sanitizing everyone's hands before they walk in the door. And if they have a, uh, an opinion about not wanting to use hand sanitizer, we offer them the bathroom with soap and water. But yes, everyone must clean their hands before they walk in the humidor. What else are we doing since the great reopening? I believe tomorrow, today is Thursday, yes, tomorrow is Friday, uh, restaurants are allowed to go up to 50% capacity. <clears throat> and so we are expanding uh, out to as many seats as we can post with social distancing, which is just under 50%. I think we'll take about 14 or 15 people uh, in various places throughout the lounge, social distance still. Still maintaining the hand washing or the hand sanitizer. Uh, during the last, what day is it, 20 days, we've been open until 6 o'clock in the evening. 
Beginning tomorrow, we're pushing back out until 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday with our regular 12 to 6 on Sunday. We have not been contacted by any legal authority, municipality, or any patrons coming back saying, hey, uh, we're part of a, a contact trace. So I have to believe without science, uh, science behind me on this statement that we're doing everything right. We're doing what we can and we're staying open and it's 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 been nice. Uh, we haven't maintained our pre-COVID revenue streams, but we certainly have enough revenue to keep us going for another day. And I look at it that way. I, I'm pulling out my old when I first opened up habits on. Well, can we do it tomorrow? Sure, let's do it tomorrow and just facing each day as it comes. <laughs> uh, I was <coughs> going to ask you about the revenue. Uh, Paul and uh, certainly don't share any more of this in your comfortable uh, with sharing. <laughs> Wait, but what? when you were the, doing the fact the... that I published my annual revenue for the whole world to see, <laughs> and that the, the Premium Cigar Association picked up said Houston Chronicle and published it for all of the tobacconists across the country. No, I have no problem saying this. <laughs> <laughs> so for for uh, all of like our viewers out there yourself. who haven't Darn met it. Paul. Paul is one of the most transparent people I think we've ever had on the show. <laughs> as yeah, far as, as, far as like, don't ever say that number ever, ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, uh, when when this first started, you were basically having go or one person at a time. How much does that and other people? Well, I got to hold you for a second. Did that impact sales? Was, did it take you? All right. Yeah. See, he's doing that. Uh, well, I think he's got a customer. No, no, no. I had so, to run. No, I've got, I've got, yeah. my staff is on, my staff is on board. They're working. Oh, okay. Uh, but there, I do have, uh, we all have short term memory problems. And I had a UPS outbound and I needed to make sure that that was grabbed. At, UPS just dropped off today's deliveries. And I'm looking forward to it because we're, we're today and tomorrow with deliveries, we're restocking the humidor. So it doesn't look anemic anymore. So, yeah, I wanted to get to stock in, in just a bit, but when this first started and you were doing curbside and one person in at a time, is it even possible to do 50% uh, of your uh, usual uh, sales in, in a situation like that? How bad did it get? While the, I'm a charts and graphs kind of guy, and while they will dictate that, yes, the bottom fell out, it was interesting in that those who chose to shop those five hours a day, six days a week, were certainly spending and purchasing more than the uh, pre-COVID average right. ticket spend. So that was a blessing. Um, customers are just fantastic. Uh, well, and I'm going to throw in the adjective uh, friends. Friends were just fantastic through this mm. process. Um, we had, I was the one manning the boats. Uh, so I was here every day. Uh, our assistant manager, Christian, he was out working on our new website, which I do need to get with the host today because there seems to be a problem with the domain resolving. Um, but anybody can take a peek at it. Uh, right now it's found under the uh, domain new.heightcigarlounge.com. Um, but once I get the host correcting things, it should point in a few days back to heightcigarlounge.com. But anyway. Uh, having said all that, and, and Mr. Doug came through as he could at the time, and so kept everybody employed, kept everybody moving, friends were coming in, customers were great, 
yes, there was a great reduction in the revenue stream. And had it not been for uh, the care package for which I am, I am a party of two different uh, projects within the care package, it might have turned into year one all over again going, um, did I make a damn big mistake? And, and no, it didn't. Um, I'm a capitalist, but I'm going to say I'm grateful for the socialist package called the care package in which it's helped me maintain payroll and some of my utilities, as well as taking care of another part, that other secondary project, has kept things afloat. And I am not in any position of concern around closure, um, but things could change tomorrow where they lock us all back down. I mean, our county judge is about to announce today, in fact, she probably already has, I think her conference is at 1230. Uh, extension of the stay-at-home order until, what was it, middle of June? I can't remember the exact date. But yes, she was extending our stay-at-home orders until June. And somehow or another, that's supposed to be in line with Governor Abbott's uh, Phase 2 opening, uh, which is occurring tomorrow. So, but That seems a little confusing, but... Okay. It is. It is. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we're going to budge forward. We're going to open up some more seats in the lounge. We're going to uh, extend our hours back out to 8 o'clock. Uh, it might be another month or so. Right before COVID, the shut, great shutdown, we had offered extended hours on Friday and Saturday until 10 p.m. And then the great shutdown occurred. And so I'm going to take it cautiously. It's too early to go to 10 o'clock. It might be too early to go to 8 o'clock, but we're certainly going to push out and go to 8 o'clock and get back to as much uh, normal operations as, as possible. And I've gotten your question. Oh, when people, <laughs> when people uh, uh, were allowed to come back and sit in the lounge and have a cigar, uh, did they seem comfortable too? Yeah, they were, there, there was comfort. There was also um, a great sigh, if you will, from the masses going, Yes, somewhere else. I can sit indoors now. Not everyone has the uh, opportunity uh, to smoke indoors in their home environment. And so, yes, as the great turns, everyone was like, yeah, somewhere to be indoors now. Uh, we, most of our regulars who were here multiple times a week before the great shutdown, they're coming back. They have been back. They are enjoying the lounge. Uh, so much so that there are moments in time that we hit capacity twice, and that was over this past week. Friday, last Friday, and this past Saturday, we hit capacity. We had to turn a couple away. We were a little sad they couldn't stay. Yeah, I'm not sure what you were just doing, but. A, uh, 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 the uh, the uh, COVID situation. You all right there, brother? What's that? I'm not sure if you can hear something. You all right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I uh, So I, I plan on using my uh, new computer for this call, but right before, uh, I couldn't get the camera to work just right, and I'm sure it's just a setting. Uh, so I didn't bring my iPad uh, power uh, supply down here, so I had to go grab that or run out of power. You know how that is. Uh, okay. I will I will say I believe you may have the noisiest screen door in Houston. 
<laughs> you know, I could oil that, but I don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and while it's been on my mind, I want to apologize for not joining you guys with a cigar. And the reason is I'm sitting inside my humidor, which is a no-smoke zone. So I just wanted to offer up apologies for not joining you with a cigar. Paul, when people came in at the beginning of the, uh, uh, of the uh, crisis, and you mentioned that they were... Uh, there were fewer customers, but they were spending more. Yes. Uh, I'm curious, were people, did it look like the average person that came buying cigars so they would last longer? Or was it loving it? I'm, I'm home. I'm uh, most, I, you, I, I, you I, heard, I heard most of your question. I heard most of your question. Uh, I can attribute one customer to buying over and above in support blessings to him, but a lot of them were buying more just so they could uh, reduce their trip outside of the house. Ah, got it. So buying what they usually buy instead of buying cheaper or more expensive. Yeah, and then they buy more, more of it so they could stay home yeah. longer, yes. So I found uh, that because I'm, um, because I'm at home more often, I'm sitting out here smoking cigars pretty much every chance I get. So, so I've gone through right. almost my entire humidor at this point. <laughs> it's quite interesting. Yeah. I've had the, personally, I'm the opposite. Uh, I'm usually a four or five a dayer um, outside of factory tours. I was down to maybe three a day just because it was just, uh, I couldn't, I just, it just didn't feel, I, I don't know, I don't know what the answer is. I found myself smoking fewer cigars during the shutdown <laughs> than I did pre-shutdown. Now being I'm less social? Four or five a day. Don't get me wrong. I'm back up to my, my normal allotment. But no, during the great shutdown, it was I was lucky to get three in a day. Uh, I think Ian said maybe being less social, and I think that probably... Oh, yeah, maybe being less good. social has a little bit to do with that. Yeah. Uh, Paul, what about, uh, what about supply? We saw that several... Um, you know, several manufacturers had to shut down at least for a while. Um, right. Is there any difficulty in getting cigars back in stock? And, no. And I is it better now if there was? I haven't experienced any supply chain issues yet that I'm aware of. That may be because, and this is my opinion, uh, most of the folks that we deal with have at best somewhere between four to six months inventory already here in the States. And so if there is going to be right. a, a supply chain issue, it might be felt sometime in June, late June, maybe early July. But at present, I don't believe that there's going to be any, any hiccups along the line, even in the late June, early July timeframe. Uh, I'm aware that Nicaragua is still open. Individual plants in Nicaragua closed down, uh, not many. I'm aware that Honduras and Dominican Republic had to do some... Uh, big time shutdowns but they're already back up even at uh, limited capacity uh, rolling cigars uh the growing season has ended in fact i was just listening to uh nicholas and nick perdomo yesterday from the uh, a podcast published live by the premium cigar association they're about a few handful of days away from finishing up pulling the last bit of the crop out of all their fields so that part of the uh, industry has come to its natural end in this calendar year as well, uh, already. 
So there wasn't a big impact on the uh, agronomy side. Uh, I had a sales rep reach out to me, I think it was early this week, asking if I've experienced the uh, shipping delays with UPS. And the answer is no. So right now, personally, and I can't speak for every shop, um, those, my supply chain is resilient. I mean, I do have a couple of vendors here and there who have consistently, pre-COVID, post-COVID, five years ago, two more days from now, have had supply issues with uh, turning cigar from primary production to limited production is what it feels like. But outside of those couple of instances of known backwater situations, no, the supply chain is resilient, it's functioning, and there are cigars that are flowing. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. And like you said, if there is a slowdown, it's likely something that's maybe we'll see subsequently. Rather. In a couple now you're, Paul, you're generally you're generally very involved on the political side of the uh, cigar industry as well. Yes, and my honest answer is right now that has taken a big back seat in terms of attention. Uh, and it is moving into an election cycle, not nationally. I focus mostly on the state level and what happens on our little hill in Austin here in Texas. And there are concerns that I'm listening to from other states that are already sounding the alarm around increased tobacco taxing. Uh, It's no surprise to anyone that all levels of taxing for income revenue for municipalities, be it local uh, city, local county, whatever level of government there is, they've been hit hard, not only from the expense outlay they had to have provided for COVID response, but also in reduced revenues in terms of regular tax income streams. So that that makes it uh, a very tenuous moment where I'm holding my breath, not for hopes of uh, we're going to make it through, but uh, I have some real concerns that uh, freshman and junior, sophomore, junior level uh, representatives, because taxing has to start in the House, not in the Senate, that our reps will be looking to increase taxes anywhere and everywhere. And when those start to promote those ideas, that's when we will start, we should actually be starting to pick up the horn now and try to put up some barriers against said increases before they happen. But right now, um, even the rest of my board, uh, we are all just focused on our day-to-day operations trying to maintain versus lose in this game of uh, COVID. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, you were seeing so many states where, you know, the sin tax or cigar tax or tobacco tax or whatever was going, like, on through the is uh, I mean, there's no reason to York ever, you know. And uh, Alan Denny was on with us uh, a couple of weeks ago. Was talking about he knew people uh, in New York that go out of state to buy their cigars because it just Absolutely. doesn't make any sense. Yes, you know. Uh, David Garofalo, one of the largest retailers in our industry, has said something similar to what you just said. Where he's in New Hampshire, and forgive me, I'm geography stupid. Uh, I think Connecticut might be a next door state. And they were looking at watching some customers, sadly. Connecticut, 
jump to the next state because that state had reopened sooner than New Hampshire. Now that New Hampshire's wow. open, he's talking about the customers are coming back. But yeah, he said he watched customers jump across states, lines. It, it, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, when I lived up in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, I used to drive up to the two. Right across Massachusetts, New Hampshire. Those guys were great. Had a had a big uh, operation. But you're right; like different states have opened in different ways. Uh, in, uh, uh, you, we've seen this beer. Uh, craft beer is hurting everywhere uh, because of the shutdown of tap rooms and stuff. But in uh, in some places like Michigan, they haven't been able to sell at all. They can't even do curbside. And it's uh, it, you know some states are tougher than others. So different rules and, and different reopening schedules, and and hopefully none of us are reopening too soon, and we don't have to go back into another lockdown. Uh, well, you know, there's that, always that. That's just it. There, there, there is going to be a second, third, a ninth, a tenth, a twelfth wave of this. My opinion about all of this has been that the shutdown wasn't for anything other than to slow its progression. So that we did not overwhelm the healthcare system. Right. That was the goal. Don't overwhelm the, the right. healthcare system. Yes, uh, different levels of government, government funded science societies, everybody's pushing for a vaccine, everybody's pushing for the miracle cure until there is some type of immunity, whether man made or uh, man humanly possible uh, we grow our own immunity towards it there will be some type of this virus hanging out with us forever and it's up yeah. to us on how we react and respond to it do we go running back into our homes and hide uh, do we make sure that certain levels of health care have all of the necessary requirements did we just learn a big ass lesson? Yes. All of the governments who have chosen to minimize and reduce healthcare budgets over the last few years, last decades, we learned a big lesson that that's not quite the right answer to to the problem. Yeah, it's you know it, it's tough to be prepared for everything, but clearly we weren't prepared for this. And right, that's, uh, that's been evident. Again, did Talk I answer the question? <laughs> I'm such a bad interviewer. <laughs> Very well, actually. Um, uh, talking about the industry slowdown, the PCA, formerly the IPCPR, yes. their annual uh, convention and trade show, uh, which would have taken place in July, that's been canceled now due, yes, to, the, uh, due to the virus. Paul, how does that affect an individual retailer? Something like that happens. The primary benefit, it's not a primary benefit. Uh, everyone likes to talk about trade shows and trade shows. However, and I don't know if our industry is unique or not, but since I became a part of the industry back in 2010, these trade show deals exist in advance of, during, post. Oh, I forgot three months later. Yes, we'll give it to these trade show deals exist whether you go to the trade show or not. So whether 
there's a trade show for deals. And those those deals those deals primary. I'm sorry. And those deals I was going to say those deals are what give you the opportunity to buy at better prices or at better prices to help to try grow new the margins. Things, yes. Things. yes. Uh-huh. But our trade show, like most trade shows, they're experiencing a downturn, a, a naturally progressing downturn. And right. while I'm able to say that, I couldn't tell you why that exists, what's going on. But trade shows in general across the board, unless they're innovative, they've done something completely different. Somehow or another, they stand out from the rest. They are dying as a marketing tool, as a as a buying tool. Um, as I just said, for us, our trade show benefits exist before, during, and after the trade show. And at the same time, uh, I chose to go to a second trade show earlier this year in Vegas, known as the Tobacco Plus Expo (TPE). And I went there just mm-hmm. to explore. I didn't. I didn't go shopping packages. I wasn't prepared for that, but I was prepared to go and explore. And I will say that there was a an excitement on that trade show floor that hasn't existed at PCA's trade show in a number of years. And the only difference I can point to is that it was different. It wasn't PCA. That's the only thing that was different about it. There was nothing about packages. Now for the vendors on the floor, it was certainly different. Smaller booths, more economical in terms of cost outlays. Uh, I heard that uh, vendors were recouping their costs with it before the end of the first day of the trade show versus waiting for the last day of the trade show over on the PCA side. So the vendors themselves had a bigger benefit at this smaller footprint. And perhaps that's something PCA should explore. I mean, I don't know what the answers are. I certainly do not. But yeah. there but there's got to be something different to bring excitement back to a thing called trade show and convention. And you were at IPCPR the last year it was called that. Uh, and I think you told me that the, like the Drew Estate uh, booth, you know, must have cost them. Well, actually, oh, again, it's, it's, it's in the triple digits, six digits. We're in six uh, digit territory. Easy. It, was a, it was like a crazy disco party the whole time. Yeah, and they had a big-ass booth at this TPE. Well, at the same time, Drew Estates is part of us, uh, and I'm not sure about this in total. They may be part, partner in partnership with Phillips & King, and Phillips & King is who owns the T- Tobacco Plus Expo trade show. And so, yeah, they oh, had a oh. larger footprint because of that partnership. Yeah, there were a few booths that were just enormous there. I do wonder if trade shows, yeah. I do wonder if trade shows of all kinds, not just the tobacco industry, but all kinds, are going to be in trouble going going forward. I mean, yes. I, from where I'm sitting here doing the show, I can look to my left at the George R. Brown Convention Center. It's been deserted for months. There's nothing going on over there. Go I mean, there's, there's no conventions. No, no conventions of any and I are going to feel comfortable being in that environment again, you know? Well, I've heard, and I haven't seen anything published, and I know Vegas has not reopened yet, or at least the Strip has not. But one of the primary reasons for canceling PCA was that the convention halls were only going to allow 250 people in at a time. And my God, you've got just 250 right. people alone or more just on the vendors being on the floor. Forget bringing in uh, retailers. 
So there was just no way for the show to actually right. happen with just that one conversation point. So, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think so many things in the future are, are up in the air until we know what the new normal looks like, I guess, is the best, the best way to put it. You know? We also have another picky hindering us from bouncing around the country. Uh, at, for different states right. to post us in that we smoke on the trade show floor. We sample new products. Right. We, we're privy to the act of smoking and not many states remain that have uh, a variance that can be activated for our particular industry. Yeah, in terms yeah. of Las Vegas is one of the remaining places that has that variance. Uh, the last time we were in New Orleans in 2015, one month before we slammed into the city, the city enacted a smoking ban without any variances. And I, I wasn't, I'm not on the board. I haven't been on the board. I'm talking from watching the behind the scenes. They had to fight uh, to get a variance to allow us on the floor to smoke. And I can only imagine you're talking about the George Brown wow. on your shoulder. I don't think they have a smoking variance at all. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, yeah, so that would prevent something like that from being able to even host this kind of thing. Right, right. And last hosted somewhere in 08 or 09. I can't remember. But, yes, that was the last time. Yeah, smoking is such a huge part of it. Like, when I was wandering around when I first got there, I, of course, I looked like a tourist in New York. I just wandered around going, like, what is this crazy place? But uh, but you go into the booth and you and you start talking to some people. Now I, I did a, I did a circuit where I kind of went around and just found people that I knew and said hi to them and stuff like that. But but every time you walk into a booth, if you're talking to somebody, they're like, oh, you're not smoking anything. Here, try one of these. I mean, it's it's that kind of thing. So I ended up with, you know, I had my little right. sling pack on with my backpack or with my uh, iPad in it, and uh, I ended up having to stuff cigars in there because I just you know. <laughs> And I couldn't wait to try all of them, too. Now, the days of coming home from a trade show with hundreds of cigars as a retailer are long gone. Um, and I never felt comfortable with that either. So knowing full well that you give me a cigar to smoke that I will never buy. Those days are long gone. Uh, I know for a fact today in Vegas, they are paying the tobacco tax for every cigar that is gifted in a marketing manner. Right. To sample. So that well, has curtailed what I call the trick-or-treating, the Pez dispenser, or the candy bowl effects of trade of our trade show in particular. And yes, you're lucky to get one to say, I would really like to smoke that because I'm very interested in buying it, but I need to know before I buy. So there are, there are some that are, some would like to say stingy, but no, they're watching their purse because trade shows aren't, aren't cheap for the manufacturers in any stretch of imagination. I mean, you've got a union that has to move their booth from the back dock to the spot on the floor. A union has to move mm -hmm. I mean, there are extra costs in Vegas that probably wouldn't exist elsewhere. And I'm unsure. I've never dealt with a trade show from a management or vendor side. So, But I can only imagine that, yes, this is going to be a great savings for PCA this year, for the vendors in PCA, while at the same time being a great revenue loss for PCA. Now, one of the biggest reasons for yeah. PCA or IPCPR formally um, uh, was the deals that you get at the trade show, but a lot of these companies were offering these deals beforehand as well, before the trade show to the vendors saying, okay, well, let's get some of this business out of the way. 
Um, and do you, are they are they starting to do that now? Not yet. Uh, it would probably be next month before we hear anything about trade show deals. But you hit on something. Um, PCA started back in 1933 as a little conglomerate in New York that spread quickly uh, to across the nation. And I'm by no means a historian of our trade show. But I am aware that sometime in the past, trade show deals were only available to participants at the trade show. And so many years ago, some of the vendors uh, identified that some of their accounts, and I'm not going to say whether they were key accounts or not, just some of their accounts weren't coming to the trade show. And they started extending the trade show deals to those who weren't going. And it mushroomed to everyone offering it before, after, and during. So it became this point of, I don't need to go to get the deals. I can save the travel expenses. I don't need to fly to go on an airplane, sit in a $200 a night hotel. I don't need a a $700 airplane ticket. I don't need meal tickets that cost, I mean, spending $100 a day on meals just because of a buffet now is $30 or more in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit, Ian, because we've not done any tasting yet. I was wondering if you had a uh, uh, beer that you wanted to taste. I, I've seen you drink show beer. But, uh, what 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 will we be talking about today? We have today oh. the tumbleroot. Now I've been going through. Now uh, uh, Paul dropped off some of these beers from Tumbleroot. This is from Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I've been going through mm-hmm. them one one at a time because I was supposed to bring them on the show. We haven't seen each other in a while, so I'm just drinking them. But I'm doing it on the show, so it seems like I'm doing it for the right cause, right? Um, so this is a bittersweet dry hop yes, ale absolutely. made with local honey. It's called the Honey Honey Double IPA from Tumbleroot, and it's uh, about a nine, 8.9% ABV. I also brought a classic. I know we've probably had this on the show. I can't remember when, and if we didn't, then it's a gross... Uh, uh, a gross oversight, but this is one of my favorite go-to beers right now. And this, oh, this is that's our very wonderful own ale. Buffalo Bayou. This is the Copper Ale 1836, and it is an absolute brilliant beer, I have to say. So I brought those two things, and then later on... Where are you, where are you going first? Oh, are we drinking now? We're not introducing beers? Oh, well, I <laughs> go ahead. I see what you've got there, and I want to hear about it. Later on, I, I, I bought a bottle of Eighth Wonder uh, started making gin, and this is their hopped gin. So I brought this, and I brought some supplies to make martini with it to see how the martini's going to go as well. So I'll try it by itself, and then I'll try it martini <laughs> All style. Right. All right. Well, why don't you go for the first of the – go ahead and go for the first of the beers. Uh, and while you do, nice, nice. You got to get, uh, get some effects in there. While you pour, I'll show you one I'm very excited to check out. It's really from Blanco Texas. This is their cracked amber, which they decide malt forward amber ale. So I'm excited to try this. I love the real ale uh, guys, what they do, how they normally brew. And, uh, I don't know if you can hear that. No, no, case, no. We got, we got uh, all, all that, it. including the dropped, <laughs> including the dropped uh, thing. Now, Paul, I, I can't remember. You're 
not a whole yeah. lot of a drinker, if I remember correctly. Yeah, once or twice a year at best. I'm a lightweight right, right. date, whatever you want to call it. One sip and I'm gone. <laughs> this is copper ale. It smells like it smells like beer and delicious bread, and a little bit of a little bit of hop on the background. It's a beautiful, a little bit darker than straw. It's got a pretty good amount of carbonation, and the taste is malt right up front. I mean. It's a beautiful, crispy, slightly burnt malt right up front with a hot finish that just cleans it right up like that. It's absolutely brilliant. That is a, a regular staple beer in my fridge. I love it. Yeah, it's in my uh, rotation at all times. So I'm for it. Uh, I'm really in a, what you're drinking, it almost... Looks a bit more like a copper uh, Very hoppy on the nose, but I'm getting a little bit of that malt already. And we'll just. Um, oh, Ian, this is a beer you would love. And now you broke up a little bit earlier, so what's the name of that? It's the real ale. It's from real ale. I'm sorry. Our friends. It's the eight track amber from Real Ale in Blanco, Gotcha. Texas. Yeah, and it's uh, described as a malt forward amber ale, six point five percent. Ian, you would love this beer. I'm gonna. That, that sounds exactly what I like. And not too it's far as off malty of what as the copper ale is. Ever, uh, and it's but it's. I think so. In fact, I would compare. It's malty enough that it actually has a little bit of a chocolate note to it, which is one of the things I always love about that uh, copper ale. Mm. Yeah, there's a good. sweetness to it. Well, malt, malt and chocolate have some familiar flavors together. If you've ever had an actual malt from a malt shop, mm -hmm. um, then you know that that malt and chocolate are very similar in some ways. And... Um, and that, I, I just love that part of the beer. And both the, uh, well, this beer in particular is very, it got just a little bit of sweetness to it. But the hop on the back end of that, which they use for bittering, uh, it, it's interesting because you taste that sweetness up front. But when you swallow, it doesn't leave a lingering sweetness. It leaves that crisp, I think I want another sip kind of, kind of finish to it. Mm-hmm. Let me be honest, this one a lot of beer does that to me, but that's a personal thing. <laughs> this one finishes very smoothly. Uh, it's got a creaminess to it and a little bit of a caramel uh, quality to it. Uh, absolutely delicious. This will become a regular for me. This is uh, this is a very, very good beer. Um, I, I was... Uh, when you were talking about uh, being as much of a drinker, I do remember when we were all together in Honduras that by the end of the night, Paul would easily be so um, at the end of the uh, <laughs> I missed that if you were talking. I don't know. If, I don't know. If, uh, I was just mentioning that when we were all together in uh, Honduras, yeah, yeah, uh, that you were definitely 
the most silver one by oh, the end of the night. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. Not, a big, not a big drinker. And, and, uh, and when I try, it's standard stuff. Nothing fancy and fine like you guys are demonstrating right now. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't make you um, any less the life of the party, though. <laughs> uh, Ian, because, because we're... Uh, Experiencing some of this uh, interval stuff, which is making the show a little jumpy. I want to move on through our other tastings here. So, do you mind opening oh, your next I, beer? I don't mind. I mean, no, don't make me open another beer. This is the, the Honey Double IPA <laughs> from Tumble Root, and we're going to try this. I got my can opener over here, so hold on. So, while Ian's getting that, I'll just mention a friend of his brought back. A number of beers from Tumble Root uh, from Santa Fe. We this is from one of our on the show. Before. Yeah, this is from one of our listeners. Paul May brought this. He brought this and a few other uh, things from us uh, for us. And I met him up at uh, McCoy's downtown, and we had a great afternoon uh, smoking cigars and hanging out uh, when he was in town that time. So I can't wait for him to come back in. I will. Uh... I will just mention that all the tumble roots that I got to try that you brought in uh, were all just exceptional. This seems to be a very so this, strong brewery. Very, very pale straw color. Uh, a little bit lighter on the carbonation than the last year. Oh, my goodness. Uh, honey. Honey and hop right up front on the nose. It smells delicious. Like the hop with the honey smell is such an interesting couple of things going on. That is an interestingly good uh, double IPA. It's it's round. It's got some sweetness to it. The honey punches through. There's also some floral things going on in there. I don't know what hops they use, but it's so floral and uh, and so big yeah, on the that's... nose that uh, this is one I think you would enjoy. I don't think it'd be your favorite style of IPA, but I think you would definitely enjoy it. No, no, no. Gentlemen, I'm going to step away for just a brief moment. Excuse well, me. Yes, sir. Of IPA. Thank you, Paul. Enjoy the view of your... <laughs> uh, speaking yeah, of we IPAs, get to stare at um, cigars I now. Have... The whole line of La Polina and Camacho. Uh, I have the Frem, or as I like to call them, P-Frem, um, Juicy. So good. IPA. Yeah, well, I have not tried this particular uh, Frem beer. But boy, did they have a great track record with the ones that we... Yeah, I haven't tried that either. So every I have two Frem, bottles today. I'm so excited. Every Frem that, uh, that uh, we've had on the show has been an outstanding beer. Oh, that right. came through nice and clear. Very good. All right. Well, this is a nice big bottle. Uh, it says... They may come from New England, but Frim's Juicy IPA features aromas of peach and starfruit with notes of orange sherbet and papaya. We put the juice and it's 7%, which is about normal, maybe slightly high for not normal, 6 to 7. And as you can see, it's pouring nice and hazy. Uh, oh, boy, does that look That good. is hazy. I'm, uh, I'm really excited. I will say, Ian, after our 
adventure last week with the uh, malt liquor, uh, I finally had to go and dig around in my beers and <laughs> get the heaviest uh, IPA I could find. And that was what finally washed the malt liquor case out of my mouth. So, <laughs> it was two days later. It was two days later. Yeah. Well, yeah. it makes you appreciate. It makes you appreciate beer that isn't malt liquor, right? Never like almost before, any beer that isn't malt liquor. Never before have I appreciated it so much. Um, this is delicious. Not nearly as hot as I was. I think you would find this. Ian, to be uh, what you like to describe as a very balanced IPA. It's got bright floral and citrus, but without having a whole lot of hoppiness to it. And we just lost Ian there for a moment. I don't know if he'll be back. But oh, all, I'm here. So I'll, uh, uh, Ian, I've just got your uh, logo picture instead of your camera now. Oh, I don't see mm. anything going on different, but I'm going to try something. You're back. You're back. Oh, you were back a moment. Well... This has been the problem, uh, the uh, technical glitch show we've been uh, so I don't know. Uh, what, uh, maybe it's just a bad day for the internet. I don't know. Am uh, I back yet? To be back in the, uh, you're back. Yes, you're back. Uh, awesome. We do plan to be back. In the, we do plan to be back in the studio soon. So um, hopefully we can do that. And I haven't figured out yet. And oh, maybe it's a good question we can ask you. Yeah. I mean, we are... To come and do a show from your end, uh, we would love to set up and how we could pull it off in six feet away social distancing. Uh, because usually we kind of put our chairs uh, close enough. We, we're usually a single camera when we're out, so uh, it, it can be a little tougher, I think, to figure out. Uh, you're welcome to come anytime you want. Uh, honestly, uh, the best area. For it would most likely be, uh, we've got a large table outside, not outside, mm. uh, outside the humidor that would accommodate a setup. And what I've got in my mind is what we did in Honduras, a similar setup like that, that we have a, we have an area and a table that right, right. kind of yep. set up. And it would accommodate a, a four foot distancing. <laughs> It would certainly hold six foot for two people. The third person, we might stretch it to four. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, maybe we can figure out how to do a multi-camera thing. That could help. So, uh, Not a problem. Come anytime you want. So, Ian, um, uh, all right, we will, we will plan to do that, and very soon. Uh, so, Ian, just final word on this beer. Fantastic. Uh, this, is, this is a real treat. Boy. Well, I have to tell you that up there a little. Um, you want to go ahead and I'm I'm getting a little frustrated with the with the freezing up here, but I have to tell you, um, while I do enjoy hanging out with you guys like this, I would much rather be in person. So I can't wait till we start doing that again. That's going to be a lot of fun. I think. Absolutely. So I, uh, the only glass I brought to drink out of is my fancy martini glass here. So we're going to try it out of here. And then I'm going to make myself a martini. This is I the Eighth that. Wonder Hop Gin. This is from right across the street from you, basically. Yep, yep. Uh, I can see them from where I sit. 
me and my wife went in there one day just to just to look around and i didn't even realize they had gin at that point in time so we bought a bottle of it to try it it's very floral and hoppy i thought also since i was doing a hoppy beer that this would be a good one to go uh after that since it's a hopped uh a hopped uh gin i don't know that i've ever had a hop gin so i'm real curious this is delicious and now you're just doing it straight right this is delicious this tastes like like, like citrus fruity like like almost like mountain dew <laughs> wow this is absolutely delicious um i had no idea what to expect about a hot gin i remember i brought a hopped whiskey and that Corsair hopped whiskey in that was not it good. Was terrible. terrible. Yeah, it, it, it was it was so stinky and weird. Um, but this is absolutely delicious. This is like straight out of the bottle and plain is easily drinkable just like this. That's a dangerous thing. Uh, there's a heat that comes back after after the sips. Um, but, but man, this leaves a, a floral citrusy sweetness on the palate that's absolutely wonderful i bet like food pairing you get something like truffle fries or something like that to back this up and i bet it's just i bet it's absolutely golden um ian martini and i want to go ahead and wrap the show up here soon because of these technical issues but while you make the martini i will uh pour for a taste of the uh, Barnacles Grand Reserva uh, 12-year Dominican Republic rum. Um, this is a, uh, a brand that I'd not tried before. Although clearly I've been into this bottle, uh, but I thought it would be an interesting one uh, to talk about on the show. And uh, I haven't done a rum here in a while, so. Oh, I like the sound. I like the sound of the shaking. So. Whenever you oh you go ahead that baby is that face. too loud all right it was perfect is, is that yeah, coming perfect <laughs> so you well you gotta um, you gotta shake so a little bit longer is, so keep talking all right so this is twelve year uh, twelve year is quite a bit of aging for a rum uh, most rums that you buy are going to be you know in the seven or less variety there are certainly some that are more but twelve year is quite a bit for a rum. Uh, and it's got such a wonderful um, nose to it. Oh, I see the olive juice. Very good. Um, so wonderful on the nose. Uh, it's got just you know, actually on the nose, and it's got a lot of it on the nose. Definitely a little bit of uh, uh, molasses or brown sugar. Wow. Ian, this is this is just a wonderful and very tasty rum, and um, I've actually had this for a little while, so I don't remember the price point, but I'm going to say it was less than thirty dollars for a twelve-year uh, rum kind of steal. Uh, this is very very good. So I'm uh, I'm batting a thousand here today. That's nice. Like it's I, not I need to uh, go back. All 
with the video and take a screenshot of when you took a sip of that because you look so happy. I was and still am, actually. I uh, still am quite happy and maybe happier yet by the time I finish it. All three olives, you are the man. Are the man. Cheers, y'all. I just want to mention, cheers. I just wanted to mention uh, lots of wonderful sort of brown sugar sweetness, but the sweetness, you know, some rums are really, really sweet. This one is less so in terms of the way it hits your palate. You're getting more of the deeper flavors, the um, the molasses, the uh, uh, sort of almost wood aging sort of uh, uh, flavors. Really, really delicious. All right, you've had a sip, my friend. This is an amazing, an absolutely fantastic martini. And you, you know, being that a martini is just basically Italian for big ass shot, uh, right? Uh, vodka or gin, right? Um, mm -hmm. This is outstanding. I think I've just found my newest go-to uh, uh, martini drink right here. It's also because of the hop and the citrusy uh, notes on it. It's it's refreshing. Like it's ninety degrees outside where we're sitting right now, except for Paul because he's inside in a nice air conditioned air conditioned but humidified. <laughs> Perfectly balanced. Well, as a matter of fact, it's so hot out here that I don't know if you just heard that little clank, but I set this off to the side like this, and because it warmed up, this popped right off the top. <laughs> <laughs> That's how yeah, warm it is out here. This is absolutely outstanding, and to keep it cold, this martini glass comes with a lid. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I yeah, buddy. That. I hadn't seen that particular... Uh, instrument of uh, drinking that's wonderful that's wonderful well um we've we've certainly done really well in terms of what we've chosen today and i think Ian, that we had it coming after the malt liquor debacle of uh, last week i think i we, think we, we deserve we deserve something we deserve some good beers and 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 some good uh, some good drinks uh paul carroll from high cigar lounge in uh in the heights neighborhood of houston uh, a place that we love. Uh, Paul, we want to get in there to see you do a show soon. Uh, and thank you so much for coming on, talking so, about uh, talking about what's going on in our in our industry. Um, we appreciate all that you do. And, of course, we had great fun with you in Honduras. You mentioned to me when we spoke um, yesterday, yes. uh, just about setting this up, that you just gotten something new in that you were really excited about. Can you... Uh, can you give us it? Oh, 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 look at that. Again. Oh, look at that. The Aladino Cameron. Absolutely. Uh, it is a Puro in, in our stretch of the word, definition of the word Puro. It is single farm. It is a Cameroon wrapper grown by the Auroras. You saw, we, we saw some of their uh, seedlings. They were doing different samplings. Cameroon was one of them. Sumatra was some of it. But the Cameroon came out, uh, and they've got it over their authentic Corojo binder, authentic Corojo filters from the farm, rolled right there at Camp Aladino. It's fantastic. Uh, I've recently learned that Cameroon is supposed to be a sweeter tobacco experience, and I will mm -hmm. I will be honest that I'm, I'm searching for it, and it may be that because this particular Cameroon is grown in Honduras versus Cameroon. Versus Cameroon, yes. So... I, I'm 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 looking for that sweetness that's typical of a Cameroon. So I'm excited about it being here. Sticks run from 780 to eight a uh, 980 uh, a piece. They only come in three sizes. They call it a Super Toro or Robusto. 
and they call it a Lonsdale, but I would more call it a Corona Gorda, but oh, six of one, half a dozen of the other. <laughs> um, you know, Husso mentioned when we were there that they really were experimenting with what the Cameroon wrapper would would taste yeah. like grown in their soil. Right. So this is this was a, a question mark even to them at that time. But uh, from what I'm hearing you say, even though it may not have that sweetness, uh, looks like the experiment may have been successful. Oh, yeah. It may Mark, have its own uniqueness to it. Yes. I'm in my third mm -hmm. cigar. We've had it in the store 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, you got to know your product, sir. Right, That's right, right. right. Here do, on the uh, show, we call it research. Right. I don't know if you remember, real quick, a humorous note. You remember the genie and how we were trying to convince them not to use the genie image because of potential yes. trademark yes. infringements? Right. <laughs> Dad did not listen to anyone. The genie is in the box. <laughs> oh, very interesting. We we kind of could see that coming, if you remember yeah. that conversation. Uh, and for those uh, listening and watching the show, there was a an interesting marketing discussion going on, and it was about using this particular image, kind of a cartoonish-looking genie. We thought, you know, they might have some copyright. Can you show us the genie? Do you have one handy? Uh, I would have to walk from camera to get it, and yes. Is that all right? We'd love sure. to see it. Yeah. This is a good way to close out the show. So, yeah, the genie is a little cartoonish, and we were just concerned that with with the whole legislation and they're trying not to uh, uh, to uh, market to kids that the cartoonish right. genie might be a little bit over the top. Although it's an incredibly cool piece of art. It's a that very cool. That his wife had drawn. Yep. Right. And it, it certainly fits with the Aladdin, Aladino, you know, uh, uh, name. But well, yeah. as I was away, I don't know if you spoke about it, but if you remember, the Aladino was a theater that the family had run very successfully right. in Don Lee, Honduras for years. And the genie was their marketing image for the theater. So They yeah. just used well, the cigar for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to try one of them. Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, guys. Uh, apologies for the technical issues. I don't know why uh, we struggled more with it today than we normally do, but uh, uh, this will all be... Uh, a moot point soon as I think we'll be back in the studio in a couple of weeks. So excellent, excellent. Good guys, uh, it's good to see you again. Missing yeah, always All right, man. good to see you, Paul. We will see you soon. Thank you again. Ian, uh, I am very excited about uh, your martini. So uh, cheers, my friend. Cheers, Clint. Have a great week, my friend. Bye bye now. Yeah. <laughs>